May the words of my heart and the meditations of all our spirits be found acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There's a word in this gospel that I think makes it harder for us to hear it, harder for us to tune into Jesus' message. That word is rich. Rich is relative. And no matter how much wealth a person possesses, it's easy to think, I'm not rich, because there's always someone who has more, even much, much more than we have. But what if the parable began this way? Jesus said, there was a middle-class person who was able to purchase whatever clothes and goods they wanted for themselves and their children, and who ate whatever they wanted to eat every day. And on the middle-class person's way to work every morning, they saw a poor man named Lazarus holding up a cardboard sign saying that he longed to satisfy his hunger with any spare change that might fall from the hands of middle-class people. This translation might make the parable a little more relatable to us. Not that we want it to be relatable because it's a pretty harsh warning. The rich man dies and he ends up in Jesus' parable tormented in Hades and all he wants is for Lazarus to dip his finger in some water so he can cool his tongue. This is a vivid illustration of what Jesus says on a number of occasions about those who possess money or goods but do not share them. They have received their reward in full, is his line, meaning worldly goods, worldly reward, nothing left for the next life. What strikes me about this passage this time is Abraham's line, between you and us a great chasm has been fixed. And the Greek is the same as the English chasma, chasm. We talk all the time about the gap between the rich and the poor, the growing divide in our country between the haves and the have-nots, the widening gulf of inequality that's been growing in our country since the Reagan era, meaning my entire lifespan. In this parable, this gap, this divide, this gulf becomes not just a figure of speech, but a literal thing, and it spans from heaven to hell. The separation between rich and poor that the poor could not cross in life to have their basic needs met is now flipped in the life to come with the rich or the richer or the privileged as the ones who are no longer able to cross and who are stuck in their suffering. Except the life to come lasts a little bit longer than this earthly life uh, for eternity. Upon learning of this literal chasm, the rich man asks Abraham uh, to send Lazarus to warn his brothers who are still alive. So he's still, I don't know how much he's learned the rich man, he's still ordering, you know, that uh, Lazarus be sent here and there. He's asking for the sort of scenario that Ebenezer Scrooge encounters in A Christmas Carol, where the, the ghost of Jacob Marley comes to warn Scrooge of the true cost of his miserliness. But Abraham says, no, he won't do this. He says, your brothers have Moses and the prophets, all those Bible stories about the importance of caring for orphans and widows, those in need, all the passages about the 
pointlessness of storing up wealth for oneself alone. So they won't listen. If they, if they don't listen to those, they won't listen to someone who's risen from the dead. But if the rich man were to get the chance that Ebenezer Scrooge gets, the chance to do it all again, the chance to make different choices, what would he do? He would need to find a way to close that gap, the divide, the gulf between himself and Lazarus in this life so that in the life to come, it does not turn into an uncrossable chasm. And that is what we need to do as well, whether we are rich or middle class. In my experience, the poor are already quite generous with the little that they have, and there's plenty of social science data to back that up as well. There's a name in Christian theology for intentionally reaching across the divide in an attempt to close the gap between rich and poor, or those who have and those who do not have. It's called solidarity. And I preached on this last month uh, because this is the year where most of our gospel readings are from Luke, and economic justice is a big priority for Luke, so we're hearing about it again and again. Solidarity means living in a way that acknowledges that every person is worth as much as every other person. No one is inherently worthier by means of the circumstances of their birth or anything else than anyone else. And this is baked into our baptismal promises. We express this in the Episcopal Church as the question, will you strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of every human being? And we answer, I will with God's help. Solidarity is when we stand up publicly and witness to the inherent dignity of every human being. Solidarity is reaching across the chasm that divides us in a public way. Solidarity requires more from us than charity alone. Charity is good, solidarity is better. And solidarity changes us more than charity ever can. It means not just giving to people or to organizations, but ourselves working for justice and peace alongside those who are marginalized. And this alongside is very important. It's not doing something for other people. It is working together with people for the liberation of all. Solidarity is a great equalizer. Solidarity is not only recognizing that you could be giving more and then giving it Solidarity is recognizing that you need for your own salvation, for your own transformation, to be in relationship with those who are suffering and then seeking out opportunities for this kind of relationship. At Grace Church right now, there are several things that we're currently doing where we are standing in solidarity with those in need. Um, These three I'm going to name are not the only things, but they're three of the biggest things I think we're doing. And all of them at Grace right now are really being carried out by a pretty small team of people. And so there's room for each of us to stand up in solidarity um, with each other. The first one is the Good News Garden. And I admit, when we planted this garden a year and change ago, I knew that it was going to be more hands-on than our other ways of contributing to food insecurity. 
but I didn't realize that it would also be a chance for solidarity. But um, we made a short video about the garden a few weeks ago, and Paulette, uh, who's been a, a big organizer of the garden, um, pointed out that when our gardeners harvest the tomatoes and zucchinis and the veggies, often we um, drop them off at a local fridge. And a fridge is a uh, free fridge. It's a refrigerator that's plugged in in a public place. And anyone can just take what they need. So unlike a food pantry where you might have to register or go or provide documents, the fridge is just there. And uh, our gardeners have started meeting people when they've been dropping off their veggies. Other people have been picking things up. And there's been this chance for people to connect with the people um, who are in need and, uh, and to meet them there and to show our solidarity with them. The next ministry where I see solidarity growing is through Embark, which is the Newton Brookline Asylum Resettlement Commission. I think it's a commission. I always forget the C. It might be a committee. Coalition, even better than commission. And Grace is a member congregation along with our Jewish uh, and Christian uh, other faith communities in our area. And this is a ministry where people are working one-on-one -on -one with individuals or families who are seeking asylum, working with displaced people to help them navigate the complex governmental and social systems that we have in our country. And I see how the Grace folks who are working in this ministry are seeing the world from the perspective of the asylum seekers because they have to walk with them to help them get language training, to help them find employment, to help them find housing, to help them meet with lawyers. And I see how our Grace folks are able to rejoice whenever a family uh, takes a step um, towards independence or when they find employment, when they find housing. And I see too how every setback that the families face um, becomes very personal to our Grace members who are working with them. And that is solidarity, that being with. Last year, Grace joined the Greater Boston Interfaith Organization, which is GBIO. Solidarity requires a lot of acronyms, I think. <laughs> so we have to learn. We have NBARC, we have GBIO, um, and many more. We joined GBIO because for years I've heard Grace folks saying that we love the local one-on-one, -on -one, but we want to be involved in the bigger policy picture in some way. And there's this wonderful organization that's already doing that, full of congregations from our area. Uh, and right now, their main goals are focusing on affordable housing, which is a huge issue everywhere in Eastern Mass, on access to mental health services, and on supporting citizens who are returning from incarceration, which is often called reentry ministry, helping people coming from prison, getting settled back into society. I've been so inspired by the GBIO meetings that I've attended, and most of these are online on Zoom, so they're easy to participate in. Um, GBIO has had some really important victories in the last year, and it's also this wonderful chance to get to know people from other faith communities all across the Boston area, um, including some that are very different from you know, suburban Episcopal churches, everybody working for justice. And um, it's a real rainbow of the place that we live in. The energy is great and really fun. Um, 
And so it's working for justice, but it's also, um, I can't tell you how uplifted I am after the GBIO meetings. And that team too needs more folks to make it happen. In our mission statement, we wrote that we are called to companion the vulnerable. That was one of the phrases that came out of all of our meetings um, when we developed our mission statement in 2019. To companion the vulnerable following the example of Jesus. And that is solidarity, walking with someone, um, standing up for others. We're called to do that not only for the sake of the vulnerable, but for our own sakes as well. Solidarity is transformative. It can transform the biggest chasm and source of separation into an unbreakable bond of love and friendship. That is its power. But it can only do that if we decide in the limited time that each one of us has that we're going to reach out. In God's name, amen.